Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. I am your delightful host, Chris. If you were listening back when we started the show, I know we took kind of a long break, but our good friend Ryan was in town, so I decided to start things back up and record an episode. Mike actually wasn't around for this one, so our usual co-host will be absent until hopefully next time. Anyhow, I hope you enjoy this episode, and adios. With me today, my dear friend, Ryan Lau, who uh, now lives in LA. We've done the show a couple times with you, Ryan, over the... Over the uh, since its inception. Since its inception a couple <laughs> yeah. years ago. And we haven't done a show since uh, maybe like a year ago. Um, yeah, that's right. Everyone just got busy yeah. working on our new Star Wars movie that's going to be our longest thing we've ever done and hopefully our coolest thing we've ever done. So that's kind of where I've been. <laughs> that's right. And yeah. I've been out of the loop a bit with everything you guys do here on the East Coast now that I'm out West. Yep. Um, so I'm going to be pleasantly surprised by the end result. Yeah, you have not part. even seen yeah. the majority of what we've done. <laughs> seen which is tidbits. Exciting. Tidbits. Yeah. But anyway, welcome back, folks. Mike couldn't be with us today. Ryan happened to be in town. Yep. And um, I have a new uh, apartment and kind of a new setup for the show. Oh, is this we the first time doing. you're doing the podcast here? Yes. Ah, okay. Yes. So that was another big thing is I had a move um, that I did, and so we just kind of took a break from the show for a little while. But um, So yeah, hopefully Mike can get in here soon. We can start doing the shows again and yeah. talking to fun people like you. Like me. Like you. Oh, an old regular. <laughs> uh, you're like a, yeah, you're like a third host. Yeah, I'm like. Spiritual guest, spiritual host. host. Well, know. anyway, we don't really have an agenda today, so we're kind of, you know, they have that section on Twitch that's just chatting. <laughs> that's what we're doing today. What? Just chatting. What? That's a thing. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have a coffee. Ryan didn't want a coffee. Well, it's relevant. We were. I was just talking to my, you know, my roommate Cash at the edit house because we want to do a dedicated setup in our guest setup in our guest house. A uh, for multi-use. We want to do for. Uh, BTS video for maybe podcasts, uh, Twitch streaming, like just a dedicated studio setup. Don't have to set it up every single day. It's just ready to go, camera ready to go. Because um, I think the biggest hurdle with us being really just busy people um, is that setup time. That's one thing. And it's what just, we just went through doing yeah. this, you know, as. Yeah, it's like so much tweaking just to like get a little podcast going. If we have just a place we just walk right in, start recording and go. Uh, it's going to be like yeah. really, really ideal. So uh, I think that's our next month or so is trying to get that set up. Yeah, really want let me know if you, if you need any help with that because I went through, you know, the soundproofing and of all, course. That, all that yeah. jazz. So. Yeah, any any help we can get yep. to get it up and running. I um, think that's the dream. I mean, we were just kind of talking about this is having a dedicated space um, to cut out that setup time and just be able to create, um, like, create stuff that looks good, you know, that has, has yeah. a certain thing to it because, you know, we, we want to present ourselves well on the, on the yeah, internet. Exactly. You know? Well, I think that's that's always been the the push and pull, right? It's, you know, you can always take the cheap option but and do it quickly, but we've always been on the kind of, call it purist side of wanting things to look really professional. It's just the look we like. Yeah. So um, we want to put that extra effort in, but it's at the cost of time and resource. And, and like, you know, once we have it in place, it's ready to go. And the thing is, a lot of us have this gear because we're all professionals. We have it ready to go. It's just putting it into place in the setup we need and not having to set up every time. So Yeah, not having to kill yourself to, to yeah. you know, especially when someone, I mean, you know, 
you were sitting here um, waiting for me to get stuff set up. And right. if, you, if you ever had a guest, it's like that's just like yeah, it's got to be ready to of go. their time. You yeah, know, yeah. so that's we haven't thing. had. Well, we've had some in person guests on the friends of ours. Yeah, a couple times. Podcast, yeah, but, yeah. But otherwise, mostly Zoom. Well, of I anticipate I anticipate us doing stuff like this where we could have the the iPad going or something, and then yeah. we do get that Bluetooth module to like loop them into the show. Um, be great to have a producer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, producers are always helpful. Yeah, but yeah. So, um, what else has been going on? Well, I haven't seen you since uh, January. I know. Which doesn't feel like that because we talk all the time. Yeah. And uh, we've been very busy. But um, let's see. I was in the Maldives. Um, oh, you were in the second, Maldives second, again? Second, yeah. That's right. Yeah. I. What was What was different about going back the second time? It was a lot more focused. I would say the first time around, and you remember as part of the, the first crew, um, there was a lot of kind of figuring out the best places to shoot, the best um, subjects to shoot. You know, I think there was a lot of uh, overcapture, and then eventually we'll use just the best of the best, which ends up with a lot of extra footage and a lot of things we knew we were going to cut out. And I think now being able to go to it again um, with the awareness of the location and knowing exactly what the good places are to shoot, and then the level up was going in with creative concepts already planned out. Right. So I think this format that we had this year of each person having their own deliverable and each person coming up with their own ideas that they can execute well. Um, so far, it's been great. And we're in the post process now. But I've, I've finished now three, uh, three posts and I'm like super happy with them. I've been able to take my time with them, really make them great, polish them up. Um, and then I can also have them live on as independent, you know, personal posts on my social media, then I can kind of help kind of show what I can do as an artist. So um, that one video definitely like put us on the map. That first one, that was that one minute packed sizzle reel of crazy effects and every possible camera and angle you could think of. Um, but now we're like, we have footing and grounding in that location with the client too, um, which has been fabulous. And the Sun CM resort staff were outstanding once again. Um, they really took care of us and they believe in us. Um, so it's been one of the best client relationships I've ever been a part of. Yeah, that's yeah. phenomenal, man. Yeah. I must say when I did see the edit for what the trip that I went, I was like blown away with <laughs> the pace and the um, the sheer number of visual effects things going on. Oh, yeah. With uh, how much of that was was cash? I would say like 80% of it. Wow. Like, oh, dude. If not Holy more. Holy crap. Like, I think we, you know, a bunch of us had different pieces we were working on. Like, I had a few pieces. I had my little, you know, uh, my three my 360 uh, star laps into DSLR. And then I had uh, me and Maude did the um, collab where we had the, the magic umbrella, I call it. It's the yeah, drink. Yeah, drink yeah. comes in. Uh, we put an umbrella in, but the drink pulls away. The umbrella is actually a real size umbrella. Um, so those are kind of pieces that individually people worked on. Like Will had a piece and Steven had 360 pieces. So those pieces definitely were, they came together as like ready to go. And then uh, Cash was the glue to it all. Having to go through like all the selects, piece together that kind of crazy impactful sequence. And then um, find those transition points between the pieces that were already done. And then finding footage that could be made into new pieces to create new transitions yeah and something that she was able to like take and do and it's unbelievable 
Um, so I, I was able to help out with building out and executing on those extra transitional pieces. This was last uh, August, September. Um, and, you know, that that's where I would be able to fit in, you know, with the post side of things. It's like helping build out those pieces. So, and then just, you know, we were able to get, as we built out the sequence, um, you know, reach out to the rest of the team and say, hey, can you uh, find, finish up this piece a little bit more? Is there anything from this piece you can work on? And then we would bring those in and a rolling process. So then that's how we yeah, got Yeah, a little bit of delegating, a little bit of A little bit of delegating. Like we needed, we wanted Ryan to finish up his, or, or to, to refine his 3D, uh, he, he captured a bunch of different, uh, the trees and the path at different points. And we created like a 3D card animation flying through a 2.5D. And he built that out for us sort of on the later side of it, um, which then I was able to take transition from that into Will's piece, which was a um, uh, endless infinite zoom through different piece pieces, which ended in a drone shot that Colin shot. So it was truly a collaborative effort, um, each piece going into the next. And like, it's just, the whole thing was a project that I've never thought I'd be a part of. Yeah. And then, <laughs> then I, all of a sudden I was, and it was so rewarding creatively. It was very, very cool. Yeah. I'm I'm just remembering now for background too for any listeners um, that initially the project had come about and I talked about it a little bit maybe on the on the previous show but the project had come about from a connection that you had made our friend now friend which is awesome uh, she goes by Cash Bunny on the internet yeah well she had assembled her own team before I met her for Virgin Voyages which is a cruise line and did a similar video which was a, a high impact social piece, many different types. There was a, you know, bullet time and, uh, and hyperlapses and 360. And so as far as I know that Sun CM resorts saw that video and was like, we need that. <laughs> we need that style. But you guys were there for 20 days. The Originally first the first trip was 25 days because then... it was five resorts, five, uh, uh, days per resort. Yeah. All just to capture content, um, that you know, you guys as a team kind of envisioned um, to create one video, one one marketed video for the hotel, uh, well, resort chain, right? Rather, and what was the goal the second time coming around? Was it a, another singular video, or was it literally just posts? It was uh, posts. So the yeah, idea was me, yeah. we're delivering forty or so uh, individual assets, yeah, that so, they can post throughout the year. Yeah, it's almost like yeah. the first trip with this client was a trial run of yeah. uh the team and, and and the concepts and the abilities and the second time was a more focused approach like you kind of mentioned right with um with yeah just a, a more goals in mind of of yeah what you guys wanted to create and one thing the client said to us when we were there they you know we asked them like what was it that brought that uh you know made you want to bring us back and they said well one the video it was outstanding and it went basically viral amongst the Maldives, like wow. every Maldivian person was talking about it. It was the first time they had seen the resorts there represented in the way that we represented them yeah. uh, with that new wave of, of, of uh, creativity. Well, this reminds me of when we were there, um, the team that was there after us doing marketing materials for the resort was that Italian filmmaking crew. Correct. Yeah. And they had brought in um, a different filmmaking crew to I mean, we looked at their stuff. It was phenomenal. They right. they looked like top of the line adventure uh, commercials for you know yeah for all kinds of stuff. 
it looks like think of like the best car commercial you've ever seen <laughs> and like going through mountains and stuff like that yeah. and and so that was so that was the crew that theirs brought. was uber cinematic and their piece was you know commercial broadcast sure. style for you know tv out there it's a different market for their hotel like it was when we got there it would that uh video was running on their their video loops and on the tvs and stuff like that so that's a definitely a whole unique traditional style whereas ours is very social friendly i think the really cool part was when ours went out we were hitting not only the hotel and resort market and social we were also hitting the filmic community and it's even last week it was reshared again by a filmmaking page. So we were able to hit two different communities of people. Yeah. Um, people that appreciate the art and creativity and people appreciate the beauty of the Maldives. And it was very, very cool. Yeah. It was, it's almost like the, because you're, you push so hard on, um, what am I trying to say? I'm just thinking like, that's the specialty of that crew. Right. It's just, Stuff that is the most beautiful stuff possible. Well, it's designed for social media. Our our crew. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it's designed for, (laughs) like, not in a bad way, but, like, shorter attention spans, you know? Yeah, It's designed to squeeze a huge amount of stuff into a tiny amount of time in a a creative and entertaining way. Right. Um, It's it's almost in itself the edit becomes the entertainment, you know? Right. And that's what most of the comments were. It's like, this edit is insane. Yeah, it's like you can't stop watching because there's so much stuff going on. And you'll have to go back and kind of, it's almost like a Where's Waldo? Like you have to go back and see every moment because it happened so fast. Yeah. But that's kind of the fun part of it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was cooking that edit, man. Yeah. That's like the the sizzliest sizzle ever invented. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Because it and so many and because there were so many different creators working on it, you could see different styles right. throughout the video. Yeah, exactly. Of like, yeah. it's almost it almost reminds me of that that first edit party edit that you guys did, where everyone yep. did their own six second thing. You did the boat thing. Remember yep. that? Yep. It's very similar to that in that everyone gets to bring a little bit of what they're good at um, to the table, which makes the the video more interesting. So yeah, it's a true collaborative edit. That's what you get. Yeah, man. That's yeah. like. So I'm hoping like that style kind of permeates the industry even more because I yeah. think it's so exciting. It's so fun. It It's great for the resort chains. It's great for uh, the marketing teams, but it's also great for the creators because we can bring so much of our own style and creativity to it while also like getting paid and have a great experience. So it's really a win-win on all sides. And all of the espresso martinis you could ever drink. <laughs> yeah. There were a lot of coffees. This the time edit too. party crew introduced me to the espresso martini. <laughs> yeah. Oh, was it really the, the first time? For I'd me? never heard of them. I actually, I tasted it for the first time on the second trip. Yeah. You didn't even have one the first trip. Well, I'm no, not. I didn't. I'm not a big caffeine drinker. Okay. Yeah, but it. Uh, I had to taste it. I was like, all right, that's pretty good. I finally had one. It wasn't my cup of tea. But <laughs> <laughs> it was your a... cup of martini. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. That that was funny. Red Bulls, espresso martinis. Um, yeah. That's all you need to fuel. The edit party crew. See what I filmmaking crew. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> so funny. So yeah, we're excited to see more uh, posts as they roll out slowly. Um, yeah, man, it's been super exciting. Well, I have fun things to talk about on the film front. Yeah. So, like, what's the true status of of the new new Star Wars Frontier? What's the status? Um, production probably, I would guess, has about a week's worth left of days, like seven days to go to wrap this Oh, filming. Of filming. Yeah. Okay. We, so we've gone, we've gone through so many, um, evolutions of this product, of this project. Um, the film started as another, 
you know, just kind of action movie. And we were thinking about eight to 12 minutes or something like that. Initially, there was a five-minute cap on the uh, the competition that we used to submit to, which is called the Lightsaber Choreography Competition on YouTube. And it's kind of what has gotten us so many viewers and so many fans. So in 2022, I guess that was last year, yeah, 2022, they say, okay, this year we're doing no time limit. So we said, okay, great. We'll make something oh, a little I, bit longer. I didn't even know that. Right? That's That was the thing. Okay. No time limit. It was like the... 30-year anniversary of the competition or something like that, 25. So we said, great, we'll do what we usually do, but we'll add a little bit more story this time so that we learn a little bit about the characters in the movie. It'll be cool. Naturally, we were overambitious and shot a little bit more or, you know, just like a little cons- bit more. conceived a bigger <laughs> story than we thought we did. But we really liked what we what we were getting. And we had our, our buddy's nephew, Dan, um, his nephew, Trevor, got to be in the movie. We're like, great. We have like a kid actor in the movie. That's going to be a huge selling point, you know? And he, he did great. And everything we, we did was working. But then we realized when we got to a rough cut of that, which wound up being about what, 15 minutes that we said, damn, this is really good. <laughs> <laughs> and we definitely, it's, it's too big. It's not going to be done in time to submit for the competition. So he said, you know what? Let's not enter it. Let's actually make this the biggest thing we've ever done and take the rest of the year to um, finish production. That didn't happen either <laughs> because we're all, you know, busy people having our normal jobs, scheduling conflicts, et cetera, et cetera. This is not a full-time job for any of you. No. We couldn't get it done before the end of the year. So we said, okay, let's go back to the drawing board on some of the stuff we don't like. And maybe we can film some stuff during the winter, but we'll probably wait until the spring. But let's not plan for that. So we try to, you know, edit during the winter, film some stuff during the winter. Doesn't work. Yeah. (laughs) Now that we're looking at 25 minutes and we're saying, all right. We've waited a year. We've waited this long. Maybe, maybe, or we've waited six months. Yeah. Now it's spring. Let's reshoot some stuff. And like, because this is our first time making a movie. Longer than five longer minutes. Longer than five minutes. <laughs> yeah. And true. it is an insane learning experience for all of us um, crafting a story that we want to tell. And it's been kind of a benefit that there's no time limit on this. It's really just on us to produce something that is hopefully the best thing we've ever made. And it's been an insanely long journey. We've shot 36 days now or 30, 36 individual shoots. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're basically getting into Hollywood territory. Yes. Like. Yeah. <laughs> it's, there's probably a little more efficiencies in Hollywood, but that's the thing. Yeah. Like I we think all s- of Tenet was shot in like 40 days or something. I don't know. The thing is, these these shoots would go so much faster if we had another one of me or like a dedicated right. lighting person, which is me, Mike, and maybe a couple other people are the only idea that are the only people that have any idea what's going on on yeah. these film shoots. Right. And we're just directing people. Let's hold for that. Yeah. I now live above a dry cleaners, <laughs> which means every um, hour or so during the day. You hear the um, conveyor go off, mm. and it's like a low rumble. So, I probably rambled on and on there, but 
So I think the direction we were going was, um, well, I wanted to say the crew is small. It's too small. It's too small. So it's 30, you know, it's been 36 days, but, you know, on a bigger production, you have dedicated people. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) you're the director, DP, gaffer. Yeah. Like Mike is in the movie, in so he can't. Mike is a director, a lot of times. So. Director, actor, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and then everyone else is an actor. And then we have a lot of friends that help help us on the crew side. But yeah. Um, yeah, it's tough. It's tough. One interesting thing that did happen, and that we foresee will happen once we publish this movie, as we had somebody reach out to us recently. Younger kid lives out in L.A. who is putting together a, a Star Wars fan film. And he's like, hey, we're getting together a team with some of these other creators. We look at some of these other people's films. Two million views here, four million views there. Big productions. Right. And they look great. Like great fan films. And they see our choreography for the fight stuff. And we're like, oh, maybe that could be your guys thing. Right. And so I think it's it goes along with what we've been saying about just the nature of our of the industry of indie film and like where it's gone now with social media, where um, you get to collaborate with people just because they happen to stumble across your work. And that's what we're looking to to dip our hands more into is just um, networking in that sense. Right. I mean, uh, to speak on the more, you know, I'm a big part of like the VFX creator community now and like the independent, you know, creative community on Instagram and collaboration is key for growth. I've heard that a million times you know, whether it's working together, collaborating officially on paper, on Instagram as a collaboration or just, you know, working as a team, not only for social media growth, but also just career growth too. I mean, I found now that I live in LA, now that I've been, I made these connections and friends and I'm truly a part of the community. Um, like now I'm getting job offers and, and like project asks and, and, uh, and things I never thought I would just because I'm like in it. It's you really know? true, man. And every single week, it's like a new, like, hey, do you do you do this? And I think that's what I've been saying, too, and now saying to myself, which I've been terrible at, is sharing. Sharing is key. And and that's what we're doing right now, right? So, but a lot of the times, you know, we're both kind of jack-of-all-trades type people in terms of creativity and, and content production. But a lot of times, people don't know all the other things you do if you don't show it, you know? Yeah, and I think this is... One thing we've brought up a couple times too between us. So Ryan and I were Ryan and I were roommates for like three or four years in college. Yeah. We got to know each other very well. We had the same job. We had the same internship in college. And we both have like our things we're good at. And we both have a slightly different personalities too. Because Ryan yeah. has always been more of like I guess more of the sherry. I guess talky. I'm more extroverted. I like kind of Dare I say humble bragging? No, in, <laughs> yeah. in a good way, though. Yeah. Um, just because, I don't know, that's just always been her thing. And I'm sitting I work, here like... I work in PR. Yeah. I mean, like, I've become like a marketing representative Well, no, just personality-wise, yeah. like, yeah. I want to sit in my room and edit alone for 10 hours, you know? Right. Yeah. And I <laughs> and usually that, like to, I like to prioritize, like, yeah. social interactions and, and meetups and, like... But what I'm saying is sitting in your room editing alone for 10 hours isn't as conducive to um to networking and like again like i i even want to start doing more like um like we did for the the night kind of thing like i want to roll while i'm editing yeah so that i have content that i can 
you know, these shareable moments that I stumble right. across in my regular everyday work. Because if you don't show it, it basically didn't happen. <laughs> if you don't share it's it. the creative, the creator, the editor's paradox. No, I'm serious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, most of the content that comes up on my Instagram feed and discover is all BTS. Yeah. Almost 95% of it is BTS because people love to see the process. And so do I. Part of the reason I got into uh, video production VFX just by watching the behind the scenes of movies on DVDs, right? Disney movies and like Transformers. And I'd, I'd be more interested in watching the behind the scenes documentary that I got the bonus disc than I would the actual movie. Cause I was so interested in the process. And I think social media has now just pushed that to an exponential level. Mm -hmm. Everyone wants to know the process so they can try to do it themselves. And it's really, really great. Everyone is so much more accessible to create things and be creative if you want to be a part of this industry. Um, but as people on the other side of it that do work professionally, uh, yeah, it's like, it's a choice for us. Do we just kind of stay in our profession and do our job and go home? Or do we want to like teach and spread the knowledge and skill that we've learned? And I think that's a tricky balance when we're trying to like pay our bills and do our work, but we also really find a interest in sharing what we've learned because a lot of the times we haven't been taught by anybody. We had to kind of figure it out. And I think that knowledge sharing is key to success in this industry. I mean, we all we all started somewhere with Andrew Kramer, right? Yeah, and <laughs> and I should say, I was just at NAB uh, for the first time. NAB is the National Association of Broadcasters, and it's a basically a filmmakers and gear manufacturer convention that happens in Las Vegas. And they just had their hundredth anniversary. I'd never been. We had been following YouTubers like Cord Digital had been there mm -hmm. years and years before. And of course, Andrew Kramer of Video Copilot, which is a uh, After Effects training website. If you're was, in the industry, you probably yeah, know him or have heard him talk any, about something. If you've ever tried to learn After Effects, uh, he was like the main source of tutorials all the way back from 2007, 2008. So when I was learning After Effects in 2009, he was the first tutorials I stumbled upon. Um, I had the chance to meet Andrew Kramer this year. <laughs> Uh, both at an Adobe organized meetup and at uh, Motion Designers After Party. And it was more of a fun... You have a picture like, with him, right? Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it was definitely more of like a fanboy experience yeah. to meet him. Um, but uh, it was like surreal because... And, and it wasn't just me. Like, you, you then we both meet him. I'm meeting, I'm meeting friends there that are also meeting him for the first time. We're all having the same conversation. <laughs> Basically, all just wanted to go up and thank this, shake this hand, shake his hand and thank him, saying, like, you taught me After Effects. And it was so funny because I went up and did that thing. And then, like, 10 minutes later, another kid walks up. Andrew Kramer, oh, my God, you taught me After Effects. Like, that's <laughs> all mean, he, that's all he get gets. That but fucking, he's so yeah. he's so nice about it. And he's so funny about I've it. I've always heard that. Yeah. yeah. So kudos to him for putting up with all the juniors kind of coming up to him. But uh, it's it's crazy when you, you know, I mean, think about school when you have a professor or teacher that really has a profound impact on what you've learned. You remember them and you value their connection and their, their experience. Now put it, you know, in this scenario where you have someone that only teaches online that doesn't have a physical or, you know, actual communication uh, connection with the people that watch those tutorials. But then once they meet in person, it's like, wait, you were my teacher, like for so long, we've never met, but like, I owe you my life almost. So it's a very surreal experience, but it was very cool. And uh, I'm, you know, glad I had that fanboy moment. <laughs> when I could. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool, man. 
Who yeah. else was at NAB? Did you meet anybody else fun at NAB? Uh, let's see. Um, so it's the second time I met uh, Josh Eo. He's a yeah. he's a channel on YouTube called Make Art Now. Grew as a YouTuber in the past maybe five or six years, and I really like his style because he brings a very unique approach to talking about like his gear setups and his usage of cameras. Like he has a bit of a narrative of. Uh, he's got a little AI personal assistant that like helps him kind of navigate through his his videos. Yeah. <laughs> he comes up with these crazy rigs where he mounts like a 400 millimeter zoom lens on a gimbal and pushed to its limit. He just uh, filmed a vlog on an Inspire drone by just mounting it in a crazy way. And then recently manufactured a uh, and brought to market a basically a spinning camera arm to do perfect orbits. And he calls it the orbit. Um, Wait, are you yeah. talking about? Because he did a, a video a while ago on the he ma- remember he made that rig that was like the Michael Bay shot thing. That's what it is. So it's he, inspired by that. He actually partnered with some uh, manufacturers and brought it to market through Kickstarter. Are and you stuff. kidding me? Yeah, it's called the Orbit, and basically it's a motor. A motor. How big is it though? So the motor it's like uh, the size of like a, a globe, and it mounts to like a little truss you can get or if you have like a you know a, a rig or something and then you have a pole that kind of yeah. center weights in the middle you camera on one side and counterweight on the other side and then you can choose the speed with an app and wow. you can have it choose how fast it orbits around something and what he's been doing is he's been pushing it to the limit lately by getting a longer speed rail so his latest video he took like a 40 foot rail and put like a 200 400 millimeter lens on one side and just stood in the middle and it's orbiting around him with the most insane bokeh possible i think i've seen that yeah crazy zoomed in and compression he's just in his backyard we kind of um were experimenting with that imagery in our short we did called in any case yeah yeah it's something that it's got a really interesting look to it because it's it's not typical of how you would shoot a yeah. scene it's like it's basically how you would shoot an intimate scene but backing up the camera and doing it for like action which is what we did um throwing on longer lenses and like like changing how your background plane interacts with your characters is like such a fun thing yeah like we used a 135 millimeter or something for that and the city looked like it was like on them but also doing any kind of motion is exactly the Michael Bay shot. Stuff right. goes by so fast in the background. It looks like anime, almost. <laughs> Another waiting period. Let's pause for a break from our sponsor. We'll be right back. I want to go to uh, NAB next year. I know. We really wanted you there, but you were filming. We are filming for the movie. Yeah. So me and, uh, me and Josh went. It was fun, though. Yeah, we'll make it. It was very tiring because Vegas can be tiring and going between the strip and back and forth is tiring. But uh, it was very, very fun. Definitely want to go back, bring more people with me. And I think so. This is something that I was talking to you about, talking to Josh about. I felt like I didn't have a proper angle of how to sell myself when I was there. Because part of the reason I was there was one, because me and Josh are just kind of gear enthusiasts. We love seeing the new camera gear, new stuff. Um, And that was a heavy part of it. And then also part of it was just making connections and just meeting people, other artists that um, you know work in our industry. Um, but I feel like a lot of it is gear focused, and personally, I'm a little less in the production side of things these days. I'm more into post and editing. Um, so when it was came down to meeting like 
that people at Aperture or Small Rig or Canon or all the Canon manufacturers. I didn't have much to say or like look at. Josh was like really excited to look at the camera gear, but I've been a little less excited about camera gears because my career kind of shifted. You would definitely find it a lot more interesting than me because you're so involved in kind of building out your rig and being a, a professional DP. Um, but then when it came to when I went to the post side and I like went to the Adobe booth, I like lit up because I was able to talk to like the After Effects reps about like new features and bugs and what I've been doing uh, to push the software to its limits. So I think once I got there, I had a much more rewarding experience personally um, because it's more in line with what I do. Um, and then there was also like these, you know, motion designers after uh, after parties. There was one hosted. That was super fun because I got to meet other artists, talk to other animators, um, people that uh, kind of have the same interests. Super fun. That's mm -hmm. where I met Andrew Kramer. And then Adobe also hosted another after party. I got to meet the Adobe reps and have the similar conversations. And uh, and we'll see. But they also said that there might be some more community outreach in Los Angeles and New York. And, you know, they really do care about the community. And they also have heard the complaints that have arose with their <laughs> software, like Premiere Pro and After Effects. And, um, you know, obviously there's so much talk. A lot of people, that's like 90% of YouTubers that yeah. are in like filmmaking are talking about. How well, much they're switching to Resolve and yeah, they, probably Premiere, a Premiere year, sucks. A yeah. year ago, that was yeah. like the number one like filmmaking thing on YouTube was like, why I switched to Resolve? 60 right. reasons why. <laughs> yeah, there's like so many videos of people doing that. Yeah. But like rightfully so, because Premiere has been choking. I think they, they're in certain regards, are too ambitious because they want to bring new features, um, like new AI features that are going to make things better, but they don't fix the problems that they already have. So it's I mean, like, I would, I, yeah. I do, I use Premiere for working with freelance and stuff all the time for different clients because they want the Premiere files. And it, one, it's not my preference, but two, I go in and I see stuff that was, that's been a bug for six years. And I just have <laughs> never fixed it. Yeah. And I'll go in and I'll say, that still happens. Yeah. <laughs> it's painful. It makes me die. But I, I literally said to the, the marketing director, I was like, you know, I was talking about this exact conversation. He's like, oh, no, we're obviously well aware of it. And this is now public, too, because, like, they've been, there's been YouTubers that have talked to them and, and they've been open about the fact that, like, the software hasn't been kept yeah. keeping up. And um, and he said, uh, and I said this from straight up, I'm like, I really don't want to switch. Like, I don't want to have to learn Resolve. I yeah. don't want to have to learn new software because I still love Premiere. But if it's not working for me, like I, I told him straight up, I'm like the software I had, I had to downgrade it because the new version was completely crashing on me with an existing project. It was After Effects. And uh, what, what am I supposed to do? Like, you know, it's... Yeah, stuff's got to get done, man. If, if your program's hindering your creative process, right. it's supposed to be helping it. <laughs> like, right. This makes me think back to the Maldives where we had, you know, it was a unique situation where we had so much footage. 12 terabytes of footage. So many different cameras. Too. Like, yeah, 15 different cameras of all different codecs and things. And that. to be honest, I don't know how Resolve would have kept up. It maybe would have been better. Yeah, I don't know. But Premiere choked so hard. The second we imported 360 footage and raw footage, it just like stopped working entirely. So I had to kind of help Cash with like making proxy everything, making master time lapse, and then at least trying to narrow it down and go camera by camera. But it really slowed down the process because of all those technical hurdles. And I don't know, I don't know what the better solution would have been, to be honest. Right. Yeah. 
It's interesting, man. It's an interesting landscape. Who knows what's going on behind the scenes, you know? Yep. And I think a lot of, too, what the conversation with NAB with Adobe, they're like, yeah, we know people are switching because Resolve is free, but it's a different business model. Like, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, DaVinci Resolve is free, at least the basic version, because they sell cameras. They sell switcher hardware. They sell things that can offset the price of the software. Adobe doesn't sell any hardware. The only business they have is that software. That is funny, yeah. So they, you know, people complain about the cost of Premiere Pro or in Creative Cloud, but that's all Adobe has. If they didn't, if they offer it for free, that, that they would have nothing. Yeah, Blackmagic sells $12,000 cameras. Right, exactly. <laughs> so they can offset it. You know, if Adobe started coming out with cameras, then maybe Premiere would be free. But like, sorry, it's not. So I don't think anyone would buy an Adobe camera. <laughs> <laughs> imagine, I wonder how many bugs that would Imagine Adobe camera just stops working like three <laughs> seconds later. <laughs> the Premier, That's too bad. The Premiere Pro 6K RAW. Well, I feel like that. I feel like um, overheating, setting on fire. I feel like their marketing would be because like cloud is like kind of a cool like. Create, I mean, that's the thing they're actually cloud. selling is uh, camera to cloud integration with Frame.io. That's a real thing. Wait. What does it do? So if you have an Atomos recorder. Okay. With a, uh, ether- oh, I saw this. It's yes. with an Ethernet adapter uh-huh. uh, or a Wi-Fi attachment. Um, you can record live proxies that get uploaded as you record. That's them. actually, that's pretty rad. Yeah. yeah. So then you can have remote editors start to work on stuff as a production's going. Can I do a rant right yeah, now? Here we go. This is for the, the internet. I, I do mean, not, like a reel. I, I can't get it. I can't understand it. It's I can't even get words out over it. How much sense this doesn't make with Atomos. Okay. You've heard me talk about this before, I'm sure. Yeah. I use an Atomos for like five years, you know, just like the tiny one that we had at work. I would always go to um, do a cinema crop and there would be a freaking crosshair in the middle. And I would say, I don't want a crosshair in the middle. <laughs> why would I, why would I want a crosshair in the middle? I'm like raising my voice and there's so no, much. And there's really, really no way to turn it off. There is no way to turn it off. So I email support and it's been five years. <laughs> and I'm saying to myself, I, so I ordered the, the Shinobi seven or whatever they yeah, came out yeah. with. Cause I was like, oh, I'll give it another shot. I'm looking for a seven inch lightweight monitor. And I go through the change logs, nothing in the change logs. I email support again. And I just have to say to myself, like, no one else has complained about this. Right. That the simplest thing, like, for, they literally market to indie filmmakers who's, unless I'm wrong, unless they have fixed it or have done something to amend this. Yeah. Or there's some workaround. There is no way to turn off the crosshair in your cinema crop. <laughs> <laughs> It's just so, like, no one, I've never heard anybody else complain about this. Everyone yeah. uses Atomos monitors. Like, I don't know. <laughs> just, right. Is that not laughable to you? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's like, is, are you really the only person that cares yeah, like, about that? But how could you, how could you see what you're watching? They're not thin crosshairs. <laughs> it's like a fucking crosshair. So anyway, but then you go buy a small HD, you spend $3,000 on a monitor, which is what I did. Because I was tired of all these bullshit monitors that like can't get the simplest things straight. <laughs> I, I mean, I wonder if that's like that Hollywood industry thing that every viewer has a crosshair on it and like that's part of what you do. I don't know. I would be okay with a small, thin black crosshair. I My mind can take that out. Yeah. A thick white crosshair, I can't take that out of my 
vision. You know, it's just always it's always ruining the input that goes into my brain. Yeah. Like I can't compose a shot. I just is that just me? <laughs> Am I freaking crazy for thinking that? Okay. Anyway, there you go. You could put that on. That's the, my rant. <laughs> put, put that on social, clipped up, and see if anyone knows you. Am I going bananas? <laughs> <laughs> it's the little things. Uh, it literally is though, because I'm a. You know, I'm a big user interface person. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I understand. That's one reason you didn't want to. You tried a Sony um, Alpha camera. I understand why yeah. Sony menus are the way they are, and I think once you know it, it's fine. But it's just not fun or easy to use and i'm not like i said once you know it you probably know it and it's fine but it it annoys me that it still looks like it's from 20 years ago or 30 years ago like the menus are atrocious and then you come over to a sigma fp and everything is so clean and easy to find and i and like i said i've got i shoot with the nikon cameras too for with, with your team and there are legitimately 3,000 camera options. Oh, the, so it's unbelievable how many options It's not are on easy to get a UI that would be like easier because obviously cinema cameras don't deal with photography. So that's 2,000 less things you have to fit into a UI because there's so many f- t- photography-specific settings that you need to be able to change. So I understand why Blackmagic can, can do a different UI and, and Sigma FP and things like that. But... Um, I don't know. That's, you know, cameras are a personal preference and I get, that's just, you know, that's just one of the things that I'd like is having a cleaner yeah. interface. And, okay, <laughs> rant part two, you cannot market to filmmakers if you don't put shutter angle as a thing on yeah. your cameras. I don't know what the deal with that is. Um, I just think that would be... Like an easy thing to integrate. But I guess it's not something a lot of people are asking for because it's not it's so, not a huge deal. So one thing that um so I was obviously just trying the Nikon Z8 because I, you know, work on the campaign. And uh one they have not brought in cinem- uh shutter angle as far as I know. But when you're shooting in N log on the cinema side, you can now choose a decimal specific shutter speed, which is kind of nice. So you know. Traditionally on DSLRs, you're limited to like if you're shooting double of uh, 24, you have to do like one over 50, which is not is like close to 180, but not exactly. You can now dial in exactly 48 there if you, you wanted to, um, or whatever shutter speed you wanted. And it's also partly for a flicker reduction. So if you yeah. have like a light flicker that isn't 60 hertz, isn't 50 hertz, somewhere weird in the middle, um, you can now dial in exact shutter speed to compensate for that. The um. The GH line for Panasonic called that, they had that feature, and it was called, like, something scan. Something, mm-hmm. like, scan related to like that. scan so, rate, yeah. yeah. That's always good. Um, well, there's a ton. I mean, the Z8 is... I mean, so I got to use it for one day. Yeah. And I, you know, I shoot on the Nikon Z6 II. Um, and for video, it... It doesn't have some of the crazier specs that like the Canon R5 has, the Sony uh, A7S4, I believe it is, or three. Um, but uh, you know, last year they came up with the Z9, which basically took like a massive step forward in specs for Nikon and video with a K uh, 60 RAW recording internally um, with. 4K 120, it was insane. I mean, it's bananas. Yeah, but the camera body was huge. It was, you know, meant for 
professional NFL photographers and wildlife and people that need like a crazy extended battery lives. Um, so I tried the Z9, but it was just too heavy for me. Um, it's just, it's just a massive body. So with the Z8, they basically took all the brains of the Z9 and made it into a smaller body. It's a little bit bigger than the Z6 and like your Sony Alpha 7s or A7Ss and your R5s. But um, so far, I really like it and it's so powerful. It's fast. The autofocus actually works pretty well so far in my testing. Um, and I have not pushed like the raw recording because it's less of what I do lately, but um all those specs are there. And so far, everyone that I've, you know, I was able to work with and test it out was pretty, pretty pumped with it too. So I'm excited to see where that fits into the market. I think Nikon has really been pushing to break into video and sure there's internet jokes about it. And there's like, you know, people that just will never buy into it. But um, I think it's a true contender. I think there, there are these even reviews with the Z9 that the Z9 was like really a groundbreaking product in the camera space. And, you know, a lot of YouTubers were highlighting it too. So no, it's unbelievable what, what they've been able to do yeah. with their technology inside their cameras. Like, whew, right. They have packed so much into the small C8. Like if you go look at the spec sheets, yeah, it's insane. freaking crazy. Plus Ibis, right? Yep. It's yep. like Ibis <sighs> full frame, um, you know, all the raw specs. You can do ProRes raw internal and raw, which is their proprietary. Yeah, and and, and raw is partnered with DaVinci now. So you got yeah. you got DaVinci support and it's that was like a big hurdle for a lot of things. Is and raw just like wasn't I yeah, mean that still goes back to this. It still doesn't work in Premiere. Well, that's this whole raw thing I've been telling you about about ProRes Raw doesn't work in Premiere either. <laughs> Actually, no, I'm wrong. I think that, it, no, no, no. It's supposed Premiere to, uh, ProRes Raw doesn't works in Premiere, but not in Resolve. Yes, because of <laughs> because of all these licensing things. Because of Apple, right? It's Apple. It's it's Red and it Black Magic all involved in these licensing debates with raw footage. If you don't know anything about this, you should. It's actually pretty interesting um, to go look up the inception of raw recording for digital cameras, which was, I believe, started by Red, or at least they had the first patent. And their patents, they will never let go of because. That is just their thing. So all these companies have had to do these these workarounds and coming up with different ways. And there's been disputes. Of, there's been lawsuits of, from Red. Of black magic. Yeah. Having too similar of a way to do their raw. To So it's, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. That's a, So that's why, I mean, it's like, I'm trying to think there's a good comparison of, um, of techno technology usage that's just like, it makes things so difficult to integrate. To Reminds them. me of the uh, the reason why DSLRs for a while couldn't do more than thirty minutes per clip was because of an I think yeah. it was an EU law that basically taxes cameras that record longer than thirty minutes as video cameras versus like photography cameras. Um, so DSLR manufacturers that wanted to keep their cameras under a certain like tax threshold would just put a limiter on even though if they were capable of recording more than 30 minutes. Yeah. Like it was purely a legal thing. Yep. It was crazy. These dumb little, <laughs> little things. Of... And now, but now recording longer than 30 minutes is like a selling point. Right. <laughs> Which is funny. Yeah. And that's like, oh, they twisted it to their yeah. advantage now. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. That's all, all that little tiny stuff that you don't hear about. Yeah. But why, why stuff is the way that it is. Um, yeah, it's always been like that. Yeah. That's the world we live in, man. The uh, beautiful world of indie filmmaking. It yeah. has ups and downs, left and rights. And uh, it's yeah, it's crazy to get to stay on top of it. 
Yeah. And you have to stay involved. I mean, we can go down the AI conversation. There's so, yeah. That's probably a whole episode, to be honest. It is a whole episode. We don't we don't even know the half of it. That's what everyone's talking about these days. That's what. So YouTube, a year ago, two years ago, was everyone talking about why they're switching to DaVinci. Yeah. And today it's how to use AI in your filmmaking. Right, exactly. How, how, you how AI is cool not tool. taking my job, but it is at the same time. Yeah. 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 People... It's because it's going so fast, and that there's nothing I could say right now that hasn't been said about it. Right. Um, I I don't even really use it that much yet in any way, except for concept art. That's been like the one thing the we true do. True generative AI. Yeah. And then we've been playing around with the AI um, rotoscoping stuff, but that's about it. Oh, yeah, I was gonna say I'll, the only thing I'll touch on is how I've been using it in my day to day. Really, it's just how Adobe's implemented it. I haven't really gotten into any sort of the generative, a little bit in Dolly 2 and ChatGPT now to come up with like scripts or concepts or just have some fun with it. Um, but I would say, yeah, Rot the uh, like Rotobrush 2 and AI Assisted Roto has been very, very beneficial for me and a lot of other people I know. Um, some of the like AI cleanup tools, like Adobe Podcast AI, like it's been talked about at nauseum now. But that's like, true. AI audio has it, it's all it's both amazing and also terrible. Yeah, <laughs> because you have to have a decent enough baseline in order for it to work. It only works in English. I think the way it works is it's basically creating an AI model of your voice and then recreating it. Right. So because when you give it audio that really isn't clean enough, it's so like jumbled and garbled and messed up because it's. It's training an AI with bad source material. Um, it's not just cleaning up your audio. It's building, rebuilding yeah. it. Um, granted, it's still in beta. Maybe it'll get better. But um, And Adobe says they um, are going to build it into Premiere or Audition at some point, yeah. which will be a lot better. Right now, it's like an upload. I'm sure it'll crash. <laughs> Who knows? Probably, yeah. So you have to give it a clean enough source um, to process because it's basically rebuilding a um a version of your voice with AI, I think. At least that's my theory of how it works because of the way that it sort of jumbles up and, and makes your voice very strange and, and robotic um when the audio really isn't yeah, good enough. Some, yeah, it's a little too aggressive. I think we need a way to like dial it back. Well hopefully maybe, that's what they'll integrate. Maybe when they built it into Premiere Audition. Some parameters. There'll know. be some parameters of like don't go crazy. Like <laughs> mix in the original in some way. Yeah. There's got to be, because the only other uh, audio cleanup tool I've used is uh, Runway has one. Doesn't seem to do much of a job. The only ones I'm aware of but haven't tried, I saw Boris FX has one called like Crumple Pop or something. Mm. Um, that's supposed to be good. Have not tried it. And then there's also, um, mm, is there another one? Adobe, uh, Runway. I don't know if I can't think of any other ones. Anyway. Um, and to finish off, let's see what I'll say. Um, yeah, so the few, the few, but the few times I have used Adobe Podcast, um, it has worked really well for me. Mostly like iPhone voice notes. Uh, yeah, uh, iPhone slight, for sure. Slightly noisy love audio. Um, even desktop audio that's like basically good already, but like I just wanted to sweeten it like that last Yeah, 10%. it can be a sweetener. Yeah. Um, and you've used it with set audio too, which has actually worked out for you, right? Well, yeah, we've... Um... We had, I tested it specifically on some lines we did during a very windy day. <laughs> so there was like, you know, we had the, the dead cat on there. It was doing its job for the most part. But, um, you know, just being outside and having the mic a little bit too far away on the boom maybe was making it, plus the wind, was giving it some weird qualities. 
um, and for our character specifically, is supposed to be our main like antagonist, big, powerful. Um, so I wanted to bring the low end back, but just doing it manually was, you know, a little bit tricky. So I said, well, I'm going to try the podcast thing. And it brought back the low end just, just like yeah, I Yeah, it basically just rebuilds it. Well, because yeah. I thought, you know, when you first threw it to me, you said, oh, this will make it, you know, this is supposed to make it sound more like a podcast. And so when you think podcast, you think um, nice and bass, <laughs> well, you know, just a full body sound. Right. Um, so I said, I wonder if I could use that just for just for anything and it did it brought back the low end yeah, great yeah, right. and now we have a big boomy um voice yeah and then of course you retweak it with some you know environment make it sound a little bit more like it's from the environment but overall i think it's going to be a um a really powerful tool for for everyone yeah so yeah audio is a big part of the video man it's very important very important picking out music now for the trailer and stuff like that mike found a really nice trailer track yesterday you know what's so funny so i'm using now artlist for a lot of stuff yeah uh, mostly because of their license structure. It's a lot easier to use their tracks for basically any platform or commercial use. Um, but they have the smallest library mm-hmm. um, on paper um, versus a lot of the, some of the other like Premium Beat or like Audio Jungle. Um, so now it's very common for me to find like the same track being used <laughs> by multiple videos in all these different industries. Yeah. <laughs> and it even happened with some of the Maldives stuff that like uh, one of us picked out a track that literally like someone else was using for an actual different ad, different client and like already baked in like way too late to change it. <laughs> like it, it was so funny that like I'm seeing, and even the other day, a friend of mine did like a sponsored post and she said that it, that track was sent to her by an agency. And I was like, oh, this was this video that we did like a year ago. <laughs> it's the same track. So hopefully they build in more tracks because the service is great. But, uh, you know, the selection is kind of limiting. I do miss Premium Beat. They changed their license license structure. They don't include YouTube now for like commercial usage. Interesting. So when I'm doing client work, I we basically you basically have to pay like three thousand dollars per track in order to get YouTube usage, which is nuts. Jesus. Or it used to be covered for the fifty dollar per track I, license. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, wow. So I basically can't use it because that's way too much to sell in every time. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I think I think a hot take is you never truly make it. You're always yeah. pushing until yeah. you just find some point of happiness where you're like, I did enough. Or you die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like, I, I, I never made it, but I did enough that it made me really happy and I had a rewarding life. Yeah. Yeah. I think here I could close on, on one funny thing that happened to me pretty recently, maybe, maybe just under a year ago. I had finally put my old... Um, iTunes library back on my phone because I finally had yeah. like enough space to like keep my old iTunes library on there. And I found this old uh, guitarist I used to listen to. I don't know where the heck I found him. But I re- I found this album that I had listened to so much when I was in high school. It really inspired me to like learn guitar and like do really cool stuff on guitar. And so I said, you know what? Let me just let me just reach out to, let me, like, what's he doing these days? And I looked and he hadn't produced an album since way back when. And I'm pretty sure it was a self-produced album. So it wasn't under a label. So I reached out to him with just like a fan email. And I was like, hey, I listened to your album like 10 years ago. And you inspired me as a kid to like play guitar. And I just remembered it because I rediscovered your album and like, you're amazing. Kind of like the Andrew Kramer thing, right? Yeah, yeah. You, re- you, you remember those people that had that profound impact on you. 
and he wrote back to me. No way. And I forget what he said he's doing now. He's he doesn't produce music anymore, but it was a very wholesome. Like you could tell how much he appreciated that. Email. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of something you hear a lot from people that get older in the industry is like those are the things that matter to them the most of like having the impact on like one person is enough to make it all worth it. So I think that's super wholesome. And I think that's what we should all strive for is helping each other and um, having a, having a positive impact on the world around us. Yeah. I think community is key and uh, collaboration and community and, you know, yes, there's people that just want to make money and kind of make it big. But I think there's a lot of people that truly just want to share what they can bring their creativity, their art, their passions, share with other people that do the same thing and just uh, kind of really enjoy the process and have a rewarding experience. So, yeah. If you can do that, you've made it. <laughs> Very wholesome end. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Ryan. Yep. Little As always. <laughs> so a little formal. Little handshake here. Yeah. Appreciate we you coming You know on. what? You know something we never did? We never, tell me. We never did like a handshake people don't do those you're anymore. saying i've never shaken your hand no but like we ne- <laughs> no 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 we, we never like came up with like a special handshake do you think do you think that's something everybody does no but like i don't know it just never <laughs> no. came up it never came up hey guys it's chris again i want to try something new for the end of our shows i know some podcasts that i listen to like to do kind of like a fan mail or a listener mail type thing so if you have a question or a comment Head on over to heliumturtle.com, send us a message, and maybe you will get on the air of the next show. And it never hurts to leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. In fact, it only helps make the show grow into a beautiful flower. So (laughs) I think that's going to be really fun. I hope you guys do too. And we'll catch you next time on Until You Make It.